Hey, good morning, church. It's great to see you. Hey, is it nice to have it be Mother's Day and nice outside? Yes? Can I get an amen on that? I got applause for that. That's good. It, um, it amazes me to live in Denver, Colorado, the sunniest city in America, and yet somehow on Mother's Day, right, it's snowing more often than not. But we're blessed today. I'm excited to be here. If you're new or visiting, my name's Spencer. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm excited to be up here. We're kicking off a new series. Welcome to our mess on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of you once again. I'm so thankful for all of you. Um, May is a month filled with family events, as many of us know, right? We've got today with Mother's Day. We've got graduations uh, coming up next week or the week after, and then school's out soon, and then parents will remember quickly thereafter why the public school system was created in the first place, right? Um, But before we get too far this morning, I do want to do two things uh, that will make this morning better. First is that if you do look inside your bulletin, there's a list of names of people who are graduating this month, either from high school or college or grad school. Um, And so if you see one of them in person, uh, congratulate them on their achievement. And let's take a moment right now and just say congratulations to all of our graduates here in the church. Thumbs up. So good. Um, And then secondly, I want to take a moment before we jump in and just invite the presence of God in here this morning. Uh, Because otherwise these words may be the same, but they will be empty and and lacking power, and only he can do that. And so as we jump into this family series to see what does God have to say about that, uh, would you join me in inviting our Father? And so, Father, thank you uh, for an opportunity to gather and to hear your word this morning, Lord. We pray, uh, God, over this time that your word would be spoken in truth and in power, Lord, that you um, would reign in these moments, Lord, that you would take what little we can offer to you, Lord, and do something incredible with it. And so we pray in this moment, Lord, that you would be speaking to us and we'd see what you are like. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Who remembers Family Picture Day? Anyone? Okay. Some of us, I think there's not many hands up because we try to forget Family Picture Day, right? Because Family Picture Day is the day where everyone's upset, stressed out, and mad at each other, and yet somehow we have to try and smile just long enough, right, for a shutter to close on a camera so we can capture that moment that says, our family's great, and then you send it to your relatives and let them know you're better than they are, and that's what we do in America, okay? And so that's what Family Picture Day is like, right? It's just like a struggle to try and get that moment to show the best of who we are Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I love about the scriptures is that they are disarmingly honest about our imperfections. And so today, um, we like to hide our flaws and show just the best moments, right? God doesn't have time for pretext like that. And so uh, we're going to take a look at a story today of a family that's not having their best moment. Um, And it's a story that you may be familiar with, but my hope today is that you can see it with fresh eyes and hear it with fresh ears Um, because I think this story speaks to us differently than you may have heard before. So we're going to set the scene. We're going to jump into the story. We're in Luke chapter 15 this morning. If you brought a Bible and you want to follow along, you're going to take notes this morning. Um, Luke being one of our four historical accounts of Jesus's life on earth. Okay, so we're going to jump in. Um, Once again, Jesus is taking some heat from the religious leaders of the day. Let's find out why this time. Okay, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so what's the problem here? What's the problem? Why is this an issue? Okay, if you know your ancient Israelite history, which I'm sure all of us do this morning, you know that at this point in history, right, the nation of Israel has been in their promised land, the land of Israel, for about 500 years since returning from exile, okay? 
God exiled his own people for disobedience to the covenant that he created with them to Babylon and Assyria and said, you're going to be banished from the land that was the promise that I gave you because you couldn't keep my commandments. You couldn't live the life I asked you to live. So they came back, right? And as you might expect, their number one goal was to not have that happen again, right? So they're becoming very, very diligent about being ritually pure, keeping the law of Moses, right? The law of the Torah, what we see, the Ten Commandments and the entire book of Deuteronomy, okay? So um, there was a, a group of people over time who became the Pharisees, as we know them today, who decided to be the shepherds, right? The people who made sure this didn't happen. And so what they would like to do is create what's called a fence around the Torah. Torah is Hebrew for law, okay? And that's their lifestyle. So if the line's here and God says, don't cross the line, they would say, great, we're going to put a fence right here. Because if you don't cross our fence, you can't possibly cross what God said don't do, okay? So their goal was to put a fence around on the inside or outside, depends how you look at it, of the law of God and say, if you don't cross our laws, then you'll never cross God's laws and we'll never be in danger of being in exile. Again, their main goal was to preserve the purity of Israel, okay? So, for example, when God says, you shall not do work on the Sabbath, the seventh day, they would make hundreds of laws, and they still exist today, and Orthodox Jews follow them. What does work mean? How many sticks of wood can you carry? How many steps from your house can you go? Today, if you go to Israel in the Orthodox quarter, you cannot push an elevator button if you're an Orthodox Jew on Shabbat, because that's considered work. So you have a Gentile do it for you, okay? That's what they do, right? If you want to eat, you have to cook it the day before and just pull it out of the crock pot, okay? So this is a way of life that still exists, and that was what they said. We'll make a fence to make sure we don't accidentally cross any of God's laws, okay? Does that make sense? Great. So they're not trying to be like the IRS agents of the day. They are trying to shepherd the nation into obedience, right? But one of their most dearly held and sacred social and religious customs was association. Who do you spend time with? Who do you sit and eat meals with? Was a very big, very controlled social norm, right? And so for them, and for many cultures even today, if you sit and share a meal with someone, it's, you might as well be endorsing that person's life and saying, you and I are one. We're friends. We're more than friends, okay? So they said, you be very careful about who you spend time with, who you sit with, who you share a meal with, because if you spend time with someone who's impure, who's not living a perfectly godly lifestyle, who doesn't keep Torah, then you have made yourself impure, and you have to go through all these steps to get fixed. And so I say all that to say that Jesus is not even an ordinary Jew, right? Jesus is a rabbi. Jesus is a teacher. He's one of them. He's one of the leaders of this nation. And so they keep seeing Jesus doing what? Breaking the rules, right? He picks food on the Sabbath, which was considered work to them, and they got really mad. He's spending time with tax collectors, and sinners, the actual IRS agents of the day, the tax collectors, no one liked them either, okay? Jesus is spending time, sorry if you work for the government, um, uh, he's spending time with those people, and I think at first they thought maybe he's cornered and they, they bombarded him, or maybe he doesn't know better, but after a while, I think they start to say, this guy's doing it on purpose, and that's a problem, right? This kind of behavior disqualifies you from being a teacher in Israel, and yet Jesus keeps doing it, and they don't understand why, and so now he's rocking the boat. He's rocking the religious system that they've put in place. Okay, so, but can you understand their position for a moment? Put yourself in their shoes. Jesus is coming in and kicking down your fence. That's not what good neighbors do usually, right? And so they're very upset, and he's a threat now to the fact that they don't want to go back into exile. And that Jesus is coming in and kicking their fence over. 
and they don't get it. So, how does Jesus answer this challenge? Well, like usual, he tells a story, okay? And this story is about a family. He actually tells three all in a row, and they all have the same point, but we're only going to look at the third one today. Um, We're going to pick it up in verse 11. I'm going to do my best to go through the story fairly quickly so that we can spend time seeing what does it actually mean. So let's pick up the story in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. There's a family of at least three people. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them, the two brothers. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, It's hard for us today to understand all of the cultural implications of what's going on, but I want to draw our attention to a few things. First, asking for your inheritance before your father passed was unbelievably offensive. This is what was passed down to you as a legacy, right? There weren't banks in the ancient world, but you had land, your family's land, and that was passed down to you and your siblings as an inheritance And so going up to your father who's alive and saying, I want my inheritance now, is like saying, Dad, you're nothing but money to me, and I want it now. I don't want to wait for you to die. You might as well be dead to me now. Okay? So not a nice thing to say to Dad. But what's obligated to to do that? In fact, normally that would have been, like, he could have just shamed his son and said, like, how dare you ask this of me? And yet he, he goes along with it. He says, sure, here's everything. Here's everything that I would have given you upon my passing. And so we start to see, right, that there's some development in these characters. They're starting to separate a little bit. So because of his foolishness, his son loses everything, and he's reduced to eating pig food on a farm. Please don't miss the irony here. This is a Jewish son working with pigs, eating pig food, okay? There's literally nothing lower on the totem pole that could have been imagined by Jesus' audience than having to work with pigs and eat their food, right? Because of kosher laws, that was an unclean animal, right? So he's Like, the destitution of this young man is remarkable at this point in the story. So, he decides, returning to his father, facing the shame that he brought on himself, is his best option on a list of very bad options, okay? So, it's here that the story starts to take its first surprising turn. So, let's pick it up and read from verse 20. So, the son got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, like he rehearsed, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he doesn't even acknowledge what his son said. He said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
So they began to celebrate. This is an incredible picture of love, is it not? It's hard for us to put into words what kind of extravagant love the father is showing to his son in this moment, right? This is an honor-shame culture. We don't have that in America as much anymore, but think about junior high school, right? Perception is everything, and your past determines your future, and what other people say about you is all that matters. And so in this culture, right, this son has shamed his family, himself and his father and his brother, He's brought shame on the family name. And when he comes back, right, not only does the father embrace him, the father runs to him to embrace him and welcome him back. Instead of shaming and saying, you're not my son, don't ever come near me again, he embraces him and basically throws off the dignity that he had to embrace his son to come back to him. I mean, the fact that he runs in that culture would have not been very dignified for a man in his stature right? It's like imagining the Pope sprinting after someone because he's so excited to see them, right? I mean, Pope Francis is great. I don't think swiftness of foot is his spiritual gift, but you get the point, okay? It's not something that was fitting or expected, but the father runs to embrace the son, and he rejects his attempt to come back as anything less than a son, and it's here that I think we start to see that the story, uh, There's a story behind the story, and that story is the story of us and our Father. You see, Jesus is pretty unrelenting when it comes to his picture of us without him. And we are really good as humans, and especially good as Americans, at looking good, putting on appearances, making sure we look fresh. It's often very difficult, especially from a distance, to really see what's going on in someone's life. And honestly, I think the person we spend the most time convincing that we're fine is us right? Talking to myself, we're fine. I'm fine. And Jesus is not so nice about things, right? And whether it's manifested itself on the outside or not, apart from him, Jesus looks at all of us as he looks at this younger son. Dirty, poor, ashamed, regretful, foolish. I mean, the list goes on. And that would be exceptionally bad news if that's where the story stopped. But it's not, because this story and God's story is always a story of redemption. This story, like many others that Jesus told, is a snapshot of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. No matter how far you are from the Father, right? And every single one of us, because of sin, is born separated from the Father. If you come to him seeking forgiveness, it will be extended to you, period. That is the gospel message. If you come to the Father seeking and asking for forgiveness, it will be given to you. No qualifications. The obvious good side of that, right? is that everyone on earth is qualified to receive forgiveness, to find new life in Jesus. And the underside and the challenging part of that side is that anyone can come and find forgiveness in Jesus, no questions asked. Do you notice that in the story, the father embraces the son, and the father asks nothing of him in order to restore him to the family. Right, The son says, I'll do this. I won't even be your son. I'll just work for you. I'll work for you, and I just want some food. And the father ignores it, and he says, put the robe on him. Put shoes on his feet. Give him the best of everything we have because my son is back. The son does not need to change in order to be accepted by the father. He needs to be accepted by the father so that he can change. And that's what makes Jesus different is that he embraces us first and then says, hey, let's work on some stuff. But it's not because of that that he accepts us. And that's also what makes the rest of this story more interesting as we continue. Because let's not forget, 
every younger brother has an older brother. That's the way it works, okay? And when most people preach this story, um, they stop right here, right? And you can easily see why. I'm not doing a bunch of exegetical handstands up here to make this preach. It's just right there, okay? Tee it up for me, Jesus. Thank you. But what we're going to do is look at the rest, because I think there's a lot hidden in here that we miss, okay? Let's not forget that this story is an answer to a question that Jesus was posed. Why are you spending time with the wrong kind of people? So let's keep that in mind as we keep reading. So, meanwhile... The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. How many of us have said that in here? Just kidding. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. One time, years ago, I was at a Chick-fil-A grand opening event, okay? Can I get an amen for Chick-fil-A, the Christian chicken in this place, okay? Basically, if they open a new franchise and you show up and you camp in the parking lot and you're the first 100 people there, they'll give you a year's worth of free Chick-fil-A. It's amazing. And when you're in seminary and you write papers full-time, it's very financially incentivizing. And so at this particular opening, right, They did a raffle, more than 100 people showed up, and so they said, we have to raffle to see which people will be in the 100, and then we'll have 10 alternates, right? So I went with six friends, and five of us, or six of us, uh, got in the first 100. And then there was me, who got number 105, okay? 105. So there was a chance for me, and I was believing all day, God is going to deliver for me. God loves me. God loves Chick-fil-A. This is going to work out. And so I, I play along, and I stay there 24 hours in the parking lot. And the next morning when they're handing out grand prizes, right, they go down. They're getting to 99, 100. And because if people quit or they dis- disqualified or whatever, then people slide up in line. So they're like, here you go, number 100. 101, congratulations. 102, congratulations. 103, congratulations. 104, congratulations. I got a miniature stuffed cow. But I was the first loser, okay? And if any of you have ever been in a position like that, you know it's pretty hard to be happy for anybody else in that moment, right? All I can think about is me, right? Never mind that I'd won this twice before or that most of my friends were going to share with me, right? I decided that I was entitled to that prize, and so everything in me was similar to the older brother. What about me? What what about me? That's not fair, right? The older brother in this story is not happy at all that his brother has returned. He's not happy at all that there's a party and he's invited to it. That would make most of us happy. He's not happy. He's offended because someone else is getting what he thinks he deserved. He tells the father, I have never abandoned you. I've never stolen your money. I've never wrecked your name. I haven't even been a normal teenager and just not shown up to work sometimes. I've worked hard for you. And yet I've never had a party. And this undeserving failure of a son of yours, right? He says, son of yours, not brother of mine. 
gets the entire savings account spent on him and his party. Can you feel what he's feeling in this moment, right? Can you identify why he's upset? A sense of injustice and impropriety that things are happening backwards from how they should be. But what if I were to tell you that the older brother in this story is not just wrong, but that he's just as far from his father as the younger brother? In fact, he believes quite strongly that his brother doesn't just deserve to not be honored. He deserves that he does. His words show the condition of his heart, and the condition of his heart is entitlement. Entitlement. And this attitude of entitlement and self-focus is not just wrong, but it's sinful. And it expresses the fact, exposes the fact that this brother is just as far from the father as his younger brother is because he does not know what the father is like. The father gives a simple response, which I'll paraphrase this way. Your true reward, son, is living with me. And your brother returning home is the most important thing we can celebrate. Why don't you come and join us? You may notice that that's how the story ends. That's just it. Jesus ends the story right there. Come and join us, and then period. It doesn't have an ending. Why is that? Jesus is pretty good at telling stories. Why would he do it that way? Well, let's remember, right? This story is not just for listening to. It's, to, it's there to evoke a response from us. Jesus is not just having story time when he tells this, right? If you remember, he's addressing a serious challenge from the religious leaders of the day saying, why on earth are you spending time with the wrong kind of people? And Jesus ends the story where he does because he wants the Pharisees, and honestly, he wants you and me to decide how we end the story. Will we continue to be hard of heart, right? Accuse God of being unfair by prioritizing the return of our lost brothers and sisters, or will we join the party? And it's at this point that we need to start asking some questions as we start to close this morning. And the first question I think is a little bit easier than the second one, but it's still tough, is this. Who are you in this story? Because I don't think there's a person in this room who doesn't fit in the shoes of one of these brothers. And honestly, I think all of us at some point in our life are in both situations. Where are you today? Who are you today? Are you a younger brother? You willfully separated from the father, but you're starting to see the emptiness and the futility of a life lived just for you. Do you tend to run from God to anything because of what you couldn't see in him? If that's you, the good news today is that the Father is looking for you. He's on the lookout. He's watching. He's waiting for you to come over that hill and come home, ready to do whatever it takes to get you out of the life that you're living. Or today, are you an older brother? Going through the motions on the outside, but on the inside, far from the heart of the Father. Are you close to the church, maybe, but far from Jesus? If that's you, the invitation is before you today to remember that you and I have earned nothing and are owed nothing because of our relationship with the Father. Just like I was upset that I did not win free food at Chick-fil-A, even though the guy in front of me cheated and didn't get caught, I, <laughs> forgive but never forget, I was not entitled, I was not entitled to that prize. It was a gift. How in the world could I be mad at a company that's so radically generous 
for not giving me what I wanted, right? I, was, I did not deserve anything. I just showed up and sat in a parking lot. And yet, in my heart, I felt entitled to that, and that was wrong. In the same way, we've got to remember that no matter how long we've attended church, how long we've been in relationship with the Father, how much we serve or how much we give, we have earned nothing because our relationship with him is not transactional. Honestly, if we learn anything from this story, it's that if there are VIPs in the kingdom of God, they are the newcomers. And we like to say, but they haven't done anything. They have done nothing to deserve that. And you're right. But neither have you. And neither have I. Because we don't ever graduate from the cross. We don't ever graduate from the place of standing at the foot of the cross and needing with everything in us to be forgiven by Jesus' blood. We are always utterly unworthy recipients of God's grace. We never move past that. We never graduate from that. The Father still says to us, you and I are always together, and everything I have is yours. And if that doesn't make our hearts rejoice, then I think we have to get real this morning and say, my heart is not in line with the Father's. But it can be, and that's what leads me to our second question this morning as we wrap up. Do you and I bear a family resemblance to our Father? We've been talking around this idea in many ways this morning, but we're kicking off a family series today. We wanted to start by looking at the creator of family, the one whom we all aspire to, the one whom we're made in his image, right? Our, our original mandate as humans is to bear his image on earth in our own way, as unique as our fingerprint, but to bear his image, to live for him. And at the end of the day, that's what really matters. So ask yourself, do, do I really bear in my human relationships in all areas of my life, do I bear a resemblance to him? Everything else we do in life has a place, right? But if we fail to represent our Father well and to bear a family resemblance to the one who matters most, we'll have lived a life far short of what we were called to. Are you in danger of having people point the finger at you and say, why are you spending time with the wrong kind of people? Jesus tells us in John that he only does what he sees his Father doing, and Jesus is in trouble with religious folk a lot. Jesus does a lot of things that make a lot of people uneasy, but Jesus does what his father is doing because Jesus knows the heart of the father is to see sons and daughters come home, and he'll do whatever it takes short of sin to do that. Do you and I bear that? Do you and I walk that kind of life? So this morning as we close, we're gonna do what we do every week um, because we believe it mimics the heart of the father and extend an invitation for those of you who'd say today, I'm not sure why, I'm not sure what end of the spectrum you're on, but I'm far from the Father, and I'd like to change that. I wanna take a first step. We wanna invite you into that. That's what we do as a church. That's what God's people do. And so um, the good news, right, the gospel is good news because everyone is qualified for forgiveness because of Jesus' blood, period. So if that's you this morning, let's... um, I want to ask you to pray with me as we all bow our heads and close our eyes to take that first step. If that's you today and you are far from the Father and you want to take that first step of faith, whether this is the first time or the 50th time that you want to do this today, you have an opportunity right now if you just pray this with me in your heart. Father, I am far from you. Jesus, I need your blood. Spirit, I need your life. God, I need your forgiveness. I don't want to live this life I'm living anymore. 
And I pray, Lord, would you come in and would you be the captain of my ship? Would you take the steering wheel of my life? Lord, and would you give me a new heart? Would you forgive me from the inside out and change me and make me new? Lord, I need you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was you this morning and you made that decision, we wanna know about it. We wanna celebrate with you, right? Walking with Jesus is not a one-time decision and it's not something you can do on your own, which is why we're here and there's a box on your Connect card. If you wanna say, yes, I made a decision for Jesus. Every single week in this church, people check those boxes. I guarantee you, Jesus is doing something in this church and that's exciting. Um, And honestly, I think it's fitting we study the passage today where the, the key obstacle, the key crux point of the story is a party that God threw for a son who came home. And I think today, man, we celebrate every week the people who made a decision to believe in Jesus. Can we get a little rowdy this morning and be like heaven and party a little bit? Can we do that right now? Can we do that right now? Jesus says right before this that heaven throws a party every time someone comes home. And that's what we're celebrating. And that's what it's like to start bearing a family image of our father. Family resemblance is that we party with people who come home. We lift them up. They've done nothing, but neither have we. And that's what we're about. We're about to celebrate communion as a part of our worship this morning. And we use celebrate as a, as a formal church term every week. But I think this week, maybe we can do it and actually mean it. Celebrate. Take it with joy this morning. Because Jesus has set us free. And we're all in front of him the same level. None of us have earned anything and none of us ever could. And we get an opportunity to thank him for that. That freedom. That everything he has is ours. And we're always with him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the life that you offer to us. Thank you for your blood that you shed on the cross for us, Lord. Thank you for the freedom that you paid in an infinite price for us to have, Lord. And thank you for calling us into a new kind of life, for making us in your image, Lord, and reminding us of what that looks like. And I pray, God, as we celebrate communion, Lord, that we would celebrate the joy and the victory that you gave us over sin and over entitlement, Lord, and over brokenness and over like crazy living, Lord, that you freed us from everything that could ever hold us back from walking with you in the fullness of our calling. And I pray that we can taste that today as we take this bread and take this cup in honor of you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. What a great reminder of the gift that was extended to us. That we did absolutely nothing to earn or even deserve. We're all in that same boat right now. We, We don't deserve what we're getting ready to celebrate. But it's because of the Father's love for us. That we're able to stand here today, we're able to to celebrate and receive all that Jesus Christ has done for that. And so we're going to take a moment here and we're going to move into a a time of communion. And uh, we invite everybody who's made a decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior to join us today as we celebrate that and as we honor that. Jesus sat down with his disciples and uh, they ate dinner together, they fellowshiped, he was sharing life with them, and and then he took a moment to kind of get somber, and every once in a while we have to have those moments where we just say, okay, hold on, let's let's just calm everything else down, and let's really focus on what Jesus is saying, 
And he took some bread and he passed it around to his disciples. And he said, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. For you, it's very personal. For you, for your sake, my body is broken for you. For all those times where we've gone through pain and we've gone through suffering, Jesus paid the price long ago for us. All the times that we felt abandoned by friends, Jesus, he went through that for our sake. And he took that pain and he took that suffering for us so that we wouldn't have to bear it. As we celebrate communion, it's a great opportunity for you to let go of that burden that you've maybe been carrying. Just turning it over to the Lord. Scripture says in the same manner that he took a cup and he passed it around but it's the blood of a brand new covenant. And I love how Pastor Spencer was talking about that today, that, you know, sometimes we start to put up fences and we say we have to behave a certain way and we have to follow these rules. And Jesus said, I, I fulfilled all those rules for you because you couldn't do it on your own. How many know that's just an honest statement? Jesus knew, he knew our heart. He didn't love us any less. He loved us more. He said, so this cup is a brand new covenant. So I changed the rules. You don't ever have to be perfect anymore. He set us free from that requirement of perfection that is based on the law. He said, instead, this is a covenant of grace that I'm offering to you. And all you have to do is to receive it. That's all we have to do. But what Jesus had to do is he had to pay the price. He went to a cross He gave up his body. He gave up his life. His blood was spilled for you and for me so that we could have eternity with the Father. And that's what we remember today. And there is that solemnness that that we ought to kind of just reflect on. But there is also a celebration of saying, thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to be perfect. Can I get an amen on that? Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to be perfect. I can live a fulfilled life. I can spend eternity with the Father in all of my imperfection. I'm not disqualified anymore because of what Jesus did. And that means we celebrate then. And so Jesus did. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, passed it around to his disciples. He said, this is my, blo- my body. It's broken for your sake. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he passed it around and he said, this is my, bu- my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, for everything that you need. It's like new, brand new covenant. And as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. This morning we have um, wafers and some juice up at the altar here. We also have bread and juice by intinction if you're interested in that. And we invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Or again, you can have a self-serve option right here with some wafers. But I just want to bless this, uh, the, these elements today. And then I'm going to invite you guys to come and participate as we celebrate communion. Thank you, Father, for um, sending your one and only Son to set us free from the law, to set us free from sin set us free from death. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price. You gave up your your body, you gave your blood so that we could have life. And we acknowledge that, we reflect on it today, but Jesus, we also celebrate it. And we say, Lord, 
that we look forward to the day when you come back for us, your church, your bride. We commit ourselves to you until that day. In Christ's name we pray.